We've got a saxophone-playing tap dancer on this episode of Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversations. He is known as Shoehorn. I'm OMN editor Tom D'Antoni, and I'm with him in the cupping room at World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. Sometimes baristas come in and have to grind coffee, but, you know, we're in a coffee shop. Glad you decided to spend some time with us again this week. You have seen Shoehorn, I betcha. Yes, he plays clubs and concerts, but you also might find him busking on the street, something he's done all over the world. He has a new album DVD out called Winging It. It's got some of Oregon's best jazz musicians on it, plus one of his daughters. His other daughter did the album Jacket Design. Next time, you'll meet OMN publisher Anna Amon and find out the many other sides to her life. For now, let's meet Michael M.C. Shoehorn Conley. Well, I don't know what the what should I call you? Can I call you Michael. You can call me Michael. You can call me Mike or MC or, or Shoehorn. Most people call me Shoehorn. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm holding your new album here, winging it. Yeah. And it says MC Shoehorn. Yeah. Now you're not a DJ. No. <laughs> you're not a rapper. Well, that's debatable, but. Uh, <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I had this thing of like, my name is Michael Conley, which is MC, but, and somehow when I sort of grew up, I started using my name again instead of just shoehorn everywhere, you know, and then shoehorn is an inanimate object. It's not really glorious enough to, uh, you know, uh, signify my talent, you know what I'm saying? So... It just describes what you do. It describes what I do, but half the people don't get it. So, oh, really? Uh, so many people don't get it. Is that right? Get, That's hard for oh, me I just uh, realized what your oh. name meant. Like, ding dong. You know, it's like, <laughs> I say, like, yeah, hey, you'll get it on the way home. You know, like, <laughs> but, um, but I find, I like, I, so starting for like written credits, I started putting Michael Shoehorn Conley. Yeah. But I don't like to be introduced like that on stage. It sounds cumbersome but to me. Yeah. You know, it's like either Mr. Shoehorn or MC Shoehorn. And yeah. So I was just uh, experimenting with a little uh, rebranding, and I, I I like the sound of MC Shoehorn. MC and Shoehorn. I have actually been engaged to be an MC ah. for live. Oh, for a master of ceremony. Yes, for yeah. live things. But and not like MC Hammer. <laughs> not like <laughs> Hammer, but uh, if – you know, you may recall on my previous release, I was I did rap on Raptapsody and Blue, <laughs> and and that was an outgrowth of the first one I did was Raptap, which I recorded in uh-huh. uh, 1994 on my first record. Which, yeah. by the way, I'm remastering that and getting the like the I'm doing my 90s. I'm going to do a 90s. Uh, what do you call it? A uh, you know when you collect a bunch of different ones, uh, compilation uh-huh. of my my best stuff in the '90s because I did two albums in the '90s here yeah. in Portland. Uh-huh. Um, they didn't really go anywhere except you know uh, they moved through the basement and they're all gone. <laughs> but I, I sold a whole bunch of them. But That's good. Um, yeah, I, all my albums break break even or uh-huh. actually they all make money. Yeah, but. Um, so there, there was another song on there called Post Ozone Solar Cockroaches. It's way, way ahead of its time. And that was a sing-along 
uh, it had words about mutation and survival. How are people supposed to know the words? They can sing them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I sing them. How would how, but how how do they find out what the words are? Uh, for if the sing along, along yeah. Uh, it's pretty simple. All they have to do is <laughs> sing. On, they come in on the chorus. I sing the verse. And What's the chorus? Post ozone, solar, cockroaches. <laughs> and, and I actually, a friend of mine's kid made a beautiful illustration of the mutated uh, half-human, half-cockroach, solar-powered organism, which is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post that soon. It's got a, uh, it's holding a keytar in the middle arms. It's got tap shoes on the, on the feet, and it's holding a soprano sax in the top. It's pretty hilarious. How many feet does it? Does, does Six, one of those? Like Six. an insect. Yeah. yeah. It's great for one man band thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a great one man band image. So uh, you know, you would have to in order, in order to really get that sound of a of a six 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 legged tap dancer, you would have to do three tracks. Yeah, and I've done that before. Uh, I might have even doubled the I doubled the tap track on a couple of songs yeah. on that first the first two records. I didn't do it on this one um, just because my feet are so much better. I don't need to. Uh -huh. Actually, that's a kind of a joke. I'm getting older. Um, I, 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 I like to think that I make up for and finesse and, and skill and nuance what I've lost in uh, sheer power and endurance. That is the key to life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like we get... It's either, a, it's either a key or a great excuse. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I play better than ever, actually. Yeah, I just don't have the same uh, energy. Right, like the pure raw energy is. Yeah, it's less. You know. Yeah, I've been doing this thirty-six years. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Was saxophone your first instrument? No, harmonica was my first instrument. Really? Yeah, and I used to walk around and play harmonica. Where was that? Uh, that was in the Midwest. I grew up outside of Chicago. Uh huh. And How far outside of Chicago? Oh, just on the edge of the of Chicago land, uh -huh. fifty miles outside of the city. My dad commuted into the city to work. Yeah, what was the name of the town? Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake. Crystal yeah. Lake, Illinois. Uh -huh. And I went to that high school there. And uh, so, who did you try to play like? Sonny Terry. Ah. Sonny Terry was my idol. I met him down in New Orleans. Uh huh. I saw him getting his portrait drawn on Jackson Square. Wow. And I said, hey, it's Sonny Terry. I was really excited. And and he was kind of pleased to be recognized. And he pulled out a harmonica, and I put on my tap shoes, and we threw down right there in the square. Wow. He was so so cool like that, you know. You must have been thrilled. I was. I, are you kidding? Then he, he invited me to Tipitina's. He put me on the guest list at Tipitina's that night. And then I and, and in the break, I sat out there um, – outside with him uh -huh. and and talk to him for like a half an hour or something wow. and i said sonny is it true that you and uh that you and brownie don't really get along because his partner brownie <laughs> mcgee it was yeah. rumored that they yeah. didn't like each other because and i'd see brownie do like really passive aggressive stuff like <laughs> you know play in, a, in the wrong key and stuff <laughs> like that you know because sonny when you have harmonica <laughs> You've got it. You're in one key, right? That's one reason I switched to sax because you, you'd have to you'd have to have 
12 harmonicas to yeah. play in key with everybody. Yeah. So, like, Sonny Brownie would just play in a half-step different key or a whole step. <laughs> and So I asked Sonny about this, and he goes, Oh, he's an ass. <laughs> so they didn't really like each other, but they had this gig that they they were a great combo. Yeah. So uh, I still do a, a tribute to Sonny Terry because the very first time I saw him was in DeKalb, Illinois, out in the corn country uh-huh. at, a, at this place. And I had a psychic incident that day. <laughs> this We were sitting in there marveling at the, the decor of the uh, – the Egyptian theater in DeKalb, Illinois, and this mm-hmm. old old timer turned around and said to me, uh, "I'll bet you can't tell me how much it costs to build this theater." <laughs> and and like and, okay, and he had worked on the theater yeah. when he was a young yeah. man, yeah. and and I and I just without a beat, I I said the number. I think it was twenty seven thousand dollars <laughs> or something like that. And he said. He stopped, you know, like blank, and he goes, that's exactly right. <laughs> so was this um, after you had started uh, trying to imitate him, or was, was, was well, that? Well, I wasn't really trying to imitate him. Well, you know him. what I mean. Yeah, but Inspired. I emulate, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really thought that he, and I still do think this, he got a sound on the harmonica that nobody else got. He did this one thing that, I heard one guy get close to it, uh-huh. but there's this one thing that he does that nobody else does. And, you know, a lot of get, harmonica players are derivative of either Little Walter yeah. or um, or Sonny Boy Williamson or right. Sonny Terry. Those are right. like the main yeah. three yeah. probably. Yeah. Maybe Jimmy Reed if you'd play it in a rack. Right. But um, he does this thing that nobody else does, and I it's just this articulation and – this wild rhythm thing he does, and he doesn't do it on every song. Where did you first hear him? I heard him on the radio ah. in the library parking lot. <laughs> I was with my mom, and she was flipping through the channels, and I said, wait, wait, don't – you know, mom didn't want to hear it. I, but I, years later, I went, oh, that was Sonny Terry. Yeah. And that just came back to me when I was <laughs> playing with some library shows. So were you self-taught? I'm self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you just had to figure it out yourself on the harmonica. Well, I got the book by uh, uh-huh. Blues Harp book by Tony Glover. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how come I recognize Sonny Terry. There's a great picture of him in there. Uh-huh. So so I read about it, and I, I had some records. I had a James Cotton record, Super Harp, the double uh-huh. album. Uh-huh. Um, and I had some, like, some folkways stuff that Sonny Terry did, and it was awesome. Yeah. You know, James Cotton is still out there. I know. He still, he can't sing anymore because of the throat cancer. But he plays great. He's a great player. Yeah. And I, I He's just, got this tune out that I play on, on, on my radio show called The Blues is Good for You, in which he he disses all health food. Oh he gosh. just says Tofu, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's funny I guess, but uh <laughs> Well, you know, it's something to be said for it. He's in his 90s, okay? Right. He's, he is in his 90s. I think he is. He's pretty old. At least his, at least his late 80s. Yeah, he's got to be in his 80s. Yeah. The doctor done told me the blues is good for you. Yeah. That's the song. It's great. Great song. Well, but so being near Chicago, I heard blues on the radio yeah. a lot. And there was this one record, sta- uh, record uh, radio station where they had 
blues and jazz, kind of very eclectic all night long. Uh-huh. And I'd leave it on very low volume. Yeah. And then at 6 a.m., it would turn to Spanish radio. And <laughs> I, I got credit for, for uh, listening credit for Spanish radio from that. And every morning, this guy would there would be a rooster sound, and this guy would go, Radio Chicago! That's the only rooster on Chicago radio. So that was like, I'd hear that every day for like a half an hour, but I'd hear the the jazz and a lot of blues and folk, Steve yeah. Goodman, uh-huh. that kind of folk thing. I would say Bob Dylan influenced me a lot as yeah. far as like the way that I, um, the, the way that I uh, approached life. Oh, no, go right ahead. No, I am recording, and it's just fine. One of the people who one of, one of the World Cup people has to come in and make some coffee. It's good. It's gonna grind. That's that's what they do. It's okay. It's just, just grinder solo. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so and we don't edit this out either. <laughs> okay. So so like the old time FM radio, I used to get a lot of. Uh, uh-huh. Information later on, I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and there was um, a guy named Ron Kuzner had a show that came on at midnight called uh-huh. The Dark Side. And uh, he was a very, very strange guy as far as his voice. Sounded really funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, but the thing about Dylan is, you know, Dylan had that thing tangled up in blue. He goes, yeah, you know, uh, I had a job in the Great North Woods. You yeah. know, yeah. like stuff. He he would work as a cook for a spell, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So I I sort of emulated that. I hitched around. Really? I yeah, I, I hitchhiked about a hundred thousand miles. And you're still playing the harmonica at that point. I was playing harmonica a lot by then. Yeah. You know, and then I'd play for the people that picked me up. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I were you singing too? I, sometimes I sang. I sang. Yeah. Um, Sang a few songs that some that I made up. I used to sing the Tennessee Stud from <laughs> that Doc Watson did with yeah. and play the harmonica. Yeah. Um, but so I, I did these itinerant gigs. In fact, when I first came through the Northwest, I was working as a a tree planter, uh, <laughs> doing piecework. Uh huh. And and that means they pay you three cents for every tree you plant. So. If you plant 2,000 trees in a day, you make 60 bucks. Jeez. And when you live in a tent and you go into town once a week to buy groceries, if you're lucky, find a shower somewhere. Sometimes we'd build a sweat lodge on the edge of a river and just so we could bathe. Where was this? I did five states. Wow. In the northwest from California up to Montana huh. and everything in between. And it's hard work. And I recently acquired one of the tools that we use really? called a hodad because it's it's way heavier than I remember it. <laughs> the thing is like, what? I can't believe I used to dig out and and it's got like an axe handle shape and you can really really they call uh-huh. it throwing it because you know you you don't actually let go of the handle but you pitch this thing towards the ground and then you pull it back and you put the root in and then you tamp it down and then you walk nine feet and plant the next one. Jeez. Yeah. So that I did that and that was you good. you ever think about how tall those trees are by now? I do think about it, I, but I don't know where those units are Yeah. Uh, where that I planted, but um, I can take credit for, Yeah. you know, uh, probably 
couple hundred thousand trees at least. Wow. You know, at three cents a tree. At three cents. Sometimes we'd have bigger trees and they'd give us six or seven cents, but almost always it was these little trees that. And the the thing is, you carry a couple hundred of those things in a in a pouch, and so that's hard work. Yeah. Um, but the, that whole thing about moving around and getting the life experience uh -huh. that you know Bob Dylan, you know, being a dishwasher. Which Dylan never did, by the way. He pretended to do, I guess. <laughs> he, did, but he never did. I thought it was cool. He you never know. did. His father owned a story. He moved to moved to moved to Minneapolis and 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 became a, a folk singer. He never did any work like that. He made up all that stuff. You know, he did he did those first interviews. He made he just made up all that shit. He didn't do any of that, any of that stuff. The Woody Guthrie thing. Yeah. I mean, I like that Woody Guthrie angle of just being like a. A working class hero, you know, I like that. He was never a working class hero. <laughs> I still like him. I, I want. Well, of course, I, I want to play on his next album. I, <laughs> I wanted to produce that thing. I don't the, the Sinatra one. I I thought of that years I've, ago, but not the Sinatra thing. I wanted to do Dylan sings Cole Porter, <laughs> and it, just think about it. It would be perfect. I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, that's the last refuge. Dylan singing Frank Sinatra is the last refuge. It's not iron. It's not ironic. It's no good. It's not ironic. It sucks. <laughs> it's just it is like the last, the absolute last refuge. It's like people who, who write in, in alliteration. It's just the last refuge of a, of a hack writer. Oh, just to use alliteration. Yeah, hmm. yeah. that's interesting. Well, that's funny because as a musician. I, I try to avoid cliches, and I think it, it goes like it works to my detriment in a lot of cases. In yeah. fact, when I first moved to town, a guy told me, yeah, you've got to learn some blues cliches. And I, <laughs> and I went like, well, all my life I've been avoiding doing anything cliche. Yeah. You know, I like to play blues licks and jazz and whatever, but, you know, I don't want to just regurgitate what I've heard on a Speedy yeah. King record, you yeah, know, really even as good as it is. Uh -huh. It's great. But, um, so when you were planting trees and stuff, had you started dancing, tap dancing yet? No, I didn't know about tap dancing. Um, but the thing is I used to walk rhythmically and uh -huh. throw in the extra heel thing uh -huh. and, and play my harmonica and I'd throw in a little extra skip. Yeah. I had my sax then, but I had left it in a friend's, apartment and brought just the mouthpiece so I could practice wow. out in the mountains and then uh, and I had bongos too because I've always been a big percussion guy yeah and um, but I just couldn't carry the a tenor sax and a heavy set of bongos and yeah. I was living out of a backpack so I brought my mouthpiece and my harmonicas and uh, I actually duct taped the the mouthpiece to a recorder Thing. It sounded awful. Yeah. But I just wanted to keep my chops. Uh huh. I kept the worked on the lips. You know, I could do long tones and stuff like that. Yeah. But um, eventually, the tree planting work uh, dried up literally <laughs> because uh, there was no rain and they you can't oh. plant trees without rain. Right. So we're sitting around idle and I have my horn and I started playing on the street. In Arcata, California, of all places, but people started giving me money. Yeah, and then pretty soon I was 
I went down to San Francisco and were you what is that harmonica or sax or sax both? sax okay I started playing sax what would you do what would you play I would play like folk songs like simple mm -hmm. melodies and um um like pop folk songs or spirituals uh -huh. um you know uh, just B simple blues things like a little modal uh just playing a scale and noodle around uh -huh. i play christmas tunes because it was <laughs> christmas time yeah i played um i played jumping with symphony sid jabba do bop 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 yeah. and um you know i i used to I, I really like the sound of sonny rollins uh -huh. and coltrane coltrane especially um so you know i was still on the road wandering after christmas in san francisco and went down to arizona and i was thinking about tap dancing because my friend had taken me to see uh singing in the rain oh and i went as soon as i got out of the theater i went wow and i had my tree planting boots which uh -huh. had little cleats added to to give them an extra maybe a few months of life they were really in bad shape and i started clicking those things and going well tap dance you know because the sound started to listen more to my feet and then uh hitchhiked to mardi gras ah and i was in a the back of a pickup truck this dude picked up every single hitchhiker he saw <laughs> And they were a well. It was quite a a motley crew. Uh, what year was this? Seventy nine. Okay. Got to Mardi Gras. The cops were on strike. I didn't sleep for three days. Did um, <laughs> you they move Mardi Gras? No. Okay. But I finally found a place to crash, and I slept twenty four hours straight. <laughs> But then when after that, I, I saw some kids with tap shoes, and I said, where do you get those shoes? And they told me where to buy the taps, and I got some thrift store loafers, and I got the taps put on there. <laughs> and I went out in the streets of, of uh, Jack, near Jackson Square and made, made the money back from the shoes in the first hour. Wow. What, what, what are who, – who makes taps? Well, there's different companies that make really? them. They're made out of aluminum generally uh but although there's different kind like irish tappers use uh this they use wood or a composite thing uh -huh. it's like a fiberglass tap that's it's got a different sound but it's kind of specialized capizio makes the most famous brand leo makes another brand and uh i've got a kind that a, a guy out of Minnesota makes my shoes. Uh -huh. And uh, I met him at a tap dance festival, and he's been working on my shoes ever since. They're um, generally aluminum. Yeah. And and they're, they go from anywhere from like an inch and a half long to as much as almost four inches. Those are huge ones. Yeah. Those are, are just recently making those really huge ones. Those are for metal tapping. Metal taps. Yeah. Metal. I mean, heavy metal. Heavy metal taps. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I always say like brass is the original heavy metal. Yeah. So, okay. So you're in Jackson Square. 
1979, and you, you and, and this is your the first time you're performing as a dancer. Yeah. And did, did were you did you have accompaniment? I had long golden hair. Did you? Yeah, and I was skinny, <laughs> way skinnier than I am now. I'm not exactly chubby now, but I was. I weighed about a good thirty pounds less. Wow. And and uh, I had you know in the era you got to think of the era I had yeah. the disco I had disco pants wow. and a tuxedo T-shirt so I looked like a stick man with long hair <laughs> and at one point I got a nice hat uh-huh. um, and I'd be out and I was playing tenor so so did, did you come to yourself the, the yes. that first performance oh yeah well but I was playing with a, a banjo player who. Uh-huh. Found me a couple of years ago on Facebook, actually, <laughs> a guy named Dave. Uh, but um, the first jam was with him. Huh. I was already playing sax and harmonica and clarinet with people and yeah. bongos. But um, what happened was on Bourbon Street at night, that's when I'd go out mostly. I'd go out at night and then out in front of uh, the clubs, tap dancers would set up and tap to the music that's blasting out of the windows. Yeah. And and each person had their own hat. <laughs> so that way we got a bigger crowd even though I wasn't really that good yet. Yeah. It it just built the crowd bigger and everybody got their own hat money. Yeah. And then there was that was there was uh, some young kids younger than me because I was a kid then, and then there was a guy my age, uh-huh. and then there was a dude who was an old guy named Porkchop. Porkchop. Yeah, do you remember him? No. Well, Porkchop was a short, pretty rough-looking guy. I have a picture of him somewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, and he he was old. He wasn't as old as he looked. I thought he was ancient. You know, of course, when you're 20, everybody over right. 30 looks like old. But Correct. he he was he wasn't as old as I thought. I found out years later. But he um, with him, I would tap and play sax. Uh huh. And it would get this huge crowd. Yeah. And and pork chop, you know, of course he he made all the money. I was <laughs> I looked at it as an apprenticeship. Uh huh. So pork chop would be. Um, He'd tap, and he'd always, he's one of them, like grumbling like Keith Jarrett while he tap danced. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then he, he'd motion with his hands for the crowd to, to spread, and he'd take a running, uh, a running leap and do a, a cartwheel and come down in the splits with his hat off. Wow. And this is an old dude, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then... He'd collect the money, and then his his lady would be sitting there in a folding chair with a big shopping bag, and he'd dump it in there, and it'd go right under, you know, between her legs, like under the chair, and and uh, you know, then it was in like the next show. So that was a, a really a tough apprenticeship. Yeah. At at a certain point, I was out in front of Al Hertz Club, and I got um, somebody injured me. With a piece of metal, threw a piece of metal at me, hit me on the head, and it was pretty. And then the next day, I saw Professor Longhair, and I had a, 
I'd had a psychic dream about that. I'm like claiming to be a psychic here, yeah. but <laughs> I, I think there's a certain amount of premonition that you can yeah, get and sure. because I definitely had had a dream a couple of weeks before picturing Fess's band, huh. which I had never seen. Uh -huh. I'd heard the name and I was intrigued by who is this Professor Longhair. Didn't yeah. know what he looked like. Okay, in the dream, I found out that he was a black man, <laughs> which I didn't know. I found, but also, he had a guy playing steel drums. Uh -huh. He had a conga player, he had a guitar player, and a trap drummer, a bass player, yeah. and two tenor players. <laughs> and I saw all that in the dream. Wow. And then when I went to the show at the Jazz Fest the next day, and there it was, the band. Just Do you like, remember who any of those people were? Tony DeGrotti on tenor. Oh, yeah. And I don't remember who the other guy was, but yeah. I remember Tony DeGrotti because I used to hit him up for uh, advice. You know, uh -huh. There's a few guys um, that were friendly to me and uh, would would give me, you know, tips about things. There was another guy named Rene, something that he used to play two saxes at once. Um, did, did, did Porkchop actually show you stuff or did you just sort of soak it in? No. Because I asked him later, the next year I asked him for uh, for uh, less for lessons, yeah. and he said, "You can't tap dance." Oh, he just said like that. Oh, like he just dissed me basically. Wow. But uh, he was wrong, <laughs> you know. But most people have been very kind to me. Like yeah. the, when I when I met the uh, the elder hoofers. Yeah. Um, who were the real hoofers? Like uh -huh. ten years later, I started to meet the. Uh -huh. uh, I started to do tap dance festivals in Boston and yeah. New York and Chicago and stuff like that. They were always really nice to me and encouraging, uh -huh. yeah. and said, "Oh yeah, you got your own thing. You got your sound together. This and uh -huh. that and the other." So, did you ever meet the greats like Sandman Sims or Honey Coles or those those guys? Honey Coles, man, I. I I hung out with Honey Coles a few times. Yeah. Um, in fact, we drank scotch <laughs> in a hotel once in, in uh, Cambridge, Mass. Uh -huh. This lawyer guy you talked just like um, – he talked just like this one Tom Snyder, the TV host. <laughs> and he'd say, uh, Mr. Coles and Mr. Shoehorn will have another scotch. <laughs> and I remember he was ordered, He was buying. And, and we got pretty ripped. Yeah. But um, – Honey was a beautiful, beautiful dude, and he was he he introduced me once uh, at the Steve Condus um, memorial at the Village Gate, and he said, "This next man you might know if your feet are too big and your shoes are too tight." <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, shoehorn. You know, he he was funny like that. He he was the MC for that thing. Yeah. The other other hoofers, I met the Nicholas brothers in Boston. They were still they were doing this um, revival tour where they would do their choreography uh -huh. that they had done when they were kids yeah. in front of the screening yeah. and they, and they would execute the steps, not the crazy stuff from the Cab Calloway from uh, Stormy Monday right. uh, Stormy Weather, yeah. uh, but they were still doing it. And Harold was singing "Sing Lady Be Good" huh. really fast uh -huh. like that, and then uh, there was a. Uh, Jimmy Slide, yeah. I got to hang out with Jimmy Slide over in Tokyo too, because he, he came over to visit. I was living over there. I did a TV piece on Sandman Sims one time. It was actually it was, it was a really a thrill. I got to go to his his place in Harlem, 
Oh yeah. Sat in his in his living room, shot shot an interview, uh, went up to the roof where he put he put the sand down and danced. I'd love to see that. It, was, it doesn't exist anymore. Oh well, I did. Um, it, this was this was TV where they recycled the tapes. Oh man, that's yeah. stupid. I know. I lost my Sun Ra story that way too. Oh Sun Ra, man. Uh, but see, I used to do the thing with the uh, the sand dance, a variation on that. Uh-huh. But it was like with pea gravel, <laughs> and I would be wearing boots, <laughs> and I, I could really do some cool sounds with that. Yeah. I always like the various textures of that you can get walking, like. Snow, yeah, leaves, yeah. you know, in the autumn, like the different seasons, squishy mud, every, yeah. you know, like I, I like to manipulate that sound. And in fact, I've got some squeaky boards in my living room that I do a special <laughs> dance with. It's just a different sound. I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> but uh, I met many of the the, the hoofers back then. Um, uh, Bunny Briggs. Uh-huh. Uh, Prince Spencer, uh-huh. who was one of the four stepbrothers. I never did meet Baby Lawrence. You must have known Baby Lawrence from, yeah, from sure, Baltimore, sure, right? Sure. There's a famous video of him uh-huh. performing at a street festival on a crappy uh-huh. festival stage in, in, in Fells Point, I think. And the sound is bad, but he's killing. You know, <laughs> And I'm thinking, wow. Here's Baby Lawrence playing the same kind of crappy stages that I'm working. I, so, and he's one of the best that ever lived. Now, you you, just, you do some tapping on this new album, the album called Winging It. Yes. What what what, what do you do the most in? in which tune? Uh, well, there's a couple of tunes where I don't tap. I know that, but what but it? but every other song I do a lot of tapping. Like, um, well, I'm, what I'm saying is we're going to take a little coffee break here. Right, and and I'll play a little bit of of that tune if you will just choose which tune. The, give us an example of uh, we can hear some of your tapping. Uh, I would say, uh, which I I like the Zappaman theme. Okay, the instrumental or the or the or the vocal. Well, I you know the vocals really the thing the thing about the difference between the vocal version. Uh, and the instrumental version is the vocals were just a- added on, yeah. and they in- I intended them to be a, a texture for the in the case of my daughter uh-huh. who sings on two songs, but it wound up being a whole new version. So I wound up putting two versions on the album. Okay. So I think the instrumental probably showcases me um, the best, but or we could do Forty Second Street. Uh, that one has some good tapping on it too. You choose. Oh, let's do my original. Let's do Zappa Man. Okay, Zappa Man theme from uh, uh, Winging It. And, uh, we'll just take a little coffee break here. Okay.
Okay. Zappa Man theme from Winging It. MC Shoehorn. Michael Connolly. Michael Shoehorn Connolly. Shoehorn. Michael Connolly. Mike. You, you can also find me if you Google the search terms Destiny's Uncle. Why is that? Uh, that's a joke. Oh, okay. Like Destiny's <laughs> Child, I'm the uncle. It's too old. Just trying to tie in with Beyonce and really successful people. So your daughter sings on this. Both of my daughters are involved. Uh, my older daughter, who's a design student in New York, did the uh, the graphic layout. How old is she? She's 19. And the other one? Her sister's 16. And she's since the day she was born, we said, this kid's a singer. Because <laughs> she, she came out like with a loud clear long strong voice you know when she was baby and then she has avoided singing for the with me for the last couple of years we did some gigs together with family band at kennedy school and the rose festival and the bite with the older one on drums they both sang uh, the older one tap dances pretty well and she plays vibes and drums and everything and arranges and writes music um but the younger one just has a it's funny because the older one has a talent for composition and arranging and structure, and the younger one is really good at just winging it, you know. So yeah. she made up her own parts on, well, her own part on the Zappaman theme that she did, which is kind of, um, and, and then uh, she just sang my lyrics on on ice cream and bubbles uh -huh. the other song she sings on which i love that i love the song um which is in six it's a six eight so like does she Afro do other Cuban. music she is constantly doing music yeah. uh, she writes her own songs sometimes too and, and what what genre does she does she work in kind of like r&b and really? hip-hop-ish type of stuff uh -huh. uh, my both of my kids are big fans of uh you know, remix artists and electronic uh -huh. music and, and Korean hip-hop, oddly enough. Huh. Uh, we're not Korean, but they know even Eileen, my younger daughter, even started learning Korean and knows a little Korean because they're both good at Japanese. Our whole family speaks Japanese, too. Yeah. Cause I lived over in Japan for eight years. And then, so, uh, they... She she does sing all the time with her iPod, and uh -huh. she, so she can. But it's it goes all over the place because one day she played something on the car in the car it was on her iPod, or she was singing it at the bus stop, and I said, "Wait, where did you get that song?" <laughs> she goes, "I don't know, Dad. It was on your computer, and I had downloaded from the library. I had." Put, saved a Ella Fitzgerald thing. I hadn't even listened to it yet. Yeah. And it was a really sophisticated uh, song called Daydream. Uh -huh. Hard song. And my kid was singing it. I went, wow. And so we sang that on a couple of gigs. Yeah. Uh, of course, I always work with really good piano players like yeah. uh, Dan Gaynor and Gordon Lee um, and some other cats that have worked with me. You know, there's so many great cats around. Um, but Gordon Lee's on this record. Uh, Dan Gaynor's on the last one. Uh -huh. And so they can handle those, you know, like 
Yeah, pretty crazy hard tunes. And yeah. so, like, I was impressed that she would pick that tune. So she likes old stuff and she likes mm-hmm. new stuff. So they're, she's not, like, locked into one genre. Yeah, yeah. But they, they love the pop and they love Amy Winehouse. And who uh-huh. doesn't? You know, she's so yeah. killing. So did you meet your wife in Japan or did you meet her here? No, I met her in Japan. You did? Yeah. Why did you go to Japan? Well, I went to Japan. Uh, I had this globe-hopping curiosity about things, and I was a street musician, uh, almost exclusively on streets for about 10 years. And I went in to Portland? Japan. No. Oh, no, okay. That was um, anywhere but Portland. All right. I, I'm not from Portland, and so I was on the – I was down in New Orleans and up in New York and then up in Canada. Then I made the leap over to Europe. Yeah. And then I, I um, came back to the States and went to college for a little while. And then I went up to Vancouver Expo 86, uh-huh. had a gig up there and played on the street. And then from there I went to Japan in the fall of 86. And then within a, a my first weekend there, I got a gig at a festival. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a street performer festival and in Yokohama. And then a couple of weeks later, I met an agent, uh-huh. and they were get, throwing me work all the time. So I'd go there twice a year yeah. for eight years for a couple of months. Uh-huh. So I wasn't there the whole time. And I met my and wife. So she saw you perform, and she went, I must have him. I met No. <laughs> I, I met I don't know. I just thought she was cute and yeah. uh I didn't think it was going to go anywhere, but then we were. She was performing actually. Really? Also. Yeah, she was working as a magician's assistant. <laughs> and then one day we had a. They cut her in half. There was a festival. I don't know if she ever did that, but um, there was a festival where the, the the three assistants came. Yeah. Without the magician, <laughs> and they did magic tricks. And then I was going back and forth. Me and my guitar player had a duo thing. A Japanese guy who knows every blues lick ever <laughs> in any style, subgenre of blues. He wrote, he yeah. wrote books about it and everything. <laughs> and he played on my first record too. Uh-huh. He's on Post Ozone Solar Cockroaches. <laughs> so, but um, so he uh, he calls me up and he goes, "Oh, Maria and Karumi are they're going to meet us for at the for dinner and." I said, okay, okay. I didn't think anything was going to happen. But, you know, one thing led to another, and a year later we were married. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So she's an artist, and she's really developed over the yeah. uh, the 20 years she's been here. Yeah. She's really amazing. You can get – she has her work up at uh, the Japanese Garden yeah. and at a gallery on Alberta called Guardino. Major step for her to, to move to the United States. Yeah. And at first it was hard, but now she must she, have loved you. <laughs> she's kind of, um, a, she's one of like, a, and her studio is like a, a, a networking place for uh-huh. a lot of people who come and uh, she does cooking classes too once in a while, just informal. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. people come and make glasswork. Uh huh. And she fires it for him. And, but it's really a forum for a lot of discussion and everything. And people come. Like in the, in the wake of the uh, 2011 tsunami, uh-huh. uh, she raised 
thousands of dollars to buy radiation monitoring equipment for the uh, the victims of the tsunami and the fallout. Yeah. Because the, you, you couldn't get a, a straight story from the government. Right. And the media. Yeah. So our network is amazing because yeah. we we have everything from scientists to uh, housewives to uh-huh. um, they call them chuzain. They're married to executives who are working over here. Uh-huh. Um, to lots of artists and you know the whole the bike activist community. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of activism and. Uh, Do you guys spend any time in Japan? Kurumi went over for a couple of weeks in February, and uh-huh. our kids go over there. Uh, Eileen's over there now for the Sister City program. Yeah. Uh, with Portland Sapporo High School Exchange, uh-huh. and um, I, actually, in my CD release, I'm going to have a kid from Chiba Prefecture is going to uh, sing, singer songwriter huh. is going to perform. Uh-huh. And uh, that's that's it. Uh, Jimmy Max on the 18th of August. The, the, the other people in the band going to be performing that night? Yeah, Gordon Lee is going to be there. He's in the house band that night, which uh, is yeah. uh, Mel Brown Septet yeah. that plays after us. And uh, Scott Wardinsky, who plays bongos uh-huh. on this, is going to be there. Um, I haven't heard from everybody yet, but I have. Yeah. Uh, I'm programming a pretty nice thing because I have a couple other dancers who are going to perform. Yeah. One is a young teenager that I've known since she was about six who's just a great, great dancer. I uh-huh. just And she goes all over the country and taking master classes, and she's getting better all the time. Uh-huh. And her name is Elizabeth Abel. She's going to uh-huh. be performing with us. And a local Irish dancer that I met – I uh, got hired to do St. Patrick's Day gigs for the first time in my career. I'm Irish, but yeah. I don't do exactly Irish music. But I wrote a song uh, for my daughter called Eileen of China because uh, she's not, of course, nothing to do with China, but it's yeah. it was just a sign up. And, and it's called Waking Up Irish is the subtitle. <laughs> and uh, I played the song at St. Patrick's Day, and this, uh, this gal, uh, Malden Meehan, uh-huh. is going to perform with us, did – just really great Irish dancing that went right in the pocket with this song. Huh. And so she's going to perform. We're going to do that song. Yeah. It's not on the album, but it's it's just, you know, on my CD release parties, I tend to have a lot of stuff going on. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised yeah. if yeah. there was an acrobat showing up. And, or, you know, <laughs> don't be surprised if there's a magician and an acrobat and a juggler at the Well, at you'll, the you'll be lucky to get Damien because he's, he's so – yeah, Damien is it's is on the road all the time. All and, the time. But the thing is with Damien, I'd said, you know, Damien, I'd love to do a recording project yeah. with you. And then, you know, I say that once in a while. It's so great when I can finally say, yep, here's the date. Can yeah. you be there? And then when I write the guy a check, it's yeah. like, okay, I'm not just a gas bag. Right saying we should do something. I actually did it. So thanks to Kickstarter and the 101 people uh-huh. who backed me on the Kickstarter, I was able to start this yeah. this program. And the Kickstarter is funny because, you know, it's kind of feels like you have your hand out. Right. But on the other hand, it's you're, It's not like I'm not giving you value. Right. Because you, you get the – 
you get the CD yeah. and it's yeah. or the DVD, which I also made a DVD called Dances with Instruments, uh-huh. and uh, so I, I had to overcome that, you know, aversion to yeah, you know, I'm an independent artist. I've been independently doing this. All my other projects were self-financed, which means yeah. in a couple cases I borrowed money, sure, and had to pay it back and. I just couldn't do that with a kid in college and another one on the way in a couple of years. Yeah. So I just decided to do the Kickstarter, and I'm really glad I did. Cause yeah. I got um, Mauricio Valadrian from um, Univision did uh-huh. the video. Nice. So I had two cameras there. Uh, I mean, two cameramen. Yes. And uh, at the recording session. Uh huh. So th- we we rec- we videoed four songs. Two of them made the DVD. And then the other ones I'm holding on to for now. But um, then we did another recording session of me doing my solo act. Because uh-huh. my bread and butter is my solo act. Yeah. So let me ask you, where in the process did you start doing the electronics when you tap dance? Well, I was over in Europe, and I, I met this guy that I originally met in New Orleans, these uh-huh. two guys. Um funny names, Dr. Harmonica and Professor Washboard. Was their, that's their street names. But uh, the, Professor Washboard had all these electronic effects on his washboard, uh-huh. like a phase shifter and all kinds of stuff. And w- One of the things was this thing called a sync kit. And he was very cagey about his stuff, but he he told me that this thing is called a sync kit, and I bought one. And that was in the early 80s. Uh-huh. So I've been fascinated with uh, electronics. I didn't use them on the gig much for the first 10 or 15 years, but I got this thing and I hooked it up to the, the tap board and it's got four knobs. One is volume, pitch, sweep, and decay. Those are the knobs. So yeah. it's real old school analog knob twisting. Yeah. And so, and that would make sounds like, you know, or, like that yeah. you know and and it was it was pretty odd and uh, almost got me fired from a gig at sloppy joe's in key west but um it it was cool and it, so then that i didn't really take that to many gigs and i was just developing all the you know my my one-man show and i added xylophone and bongos on a stand and I always had the harmonica. I put clarinet in there, but I was still fascinated with this because I, uh, at one point, I wanted to build a giant marimba to tap dance on, <laughs> but that's impractical. Yeah. But what I've done is with a three foot by three foot square, I have eight shock mounted trigger pads, and which allows me to play a giant marimba with my feet electronically. <laughs> So I can, and not only that, I can, a couple of uh, flicks of a button, and I'm on a a drum kit. And another flick, and it's like a Latin percussion drums. Another one, it's like, you know, R&B drums or different kind of drums. Like, uh, they call them patches or kits, and Uh each kit sounds different. But there's ones that I can pick the sounds and tune them how I want. So. Once sometimes I have two different chords, like a one chord and a five chord that I can go back and forth from, or 
more often I like to have just like eight notes that go together in a scale, like a, a minor pentatonic or something like that. And then I play saxophone licks on top of that. Yeah. And, and I retain the acoustic tap sound, so I'm getting three sounds. Yeah. So uh, it's three. I'm playing three parts at once, essentially. And the acoustic tap does more, you know, this more intricate rhythm. Uh -huh. And the um, the MIDI tap or the electronic tap, E-tap for short, um, you know, might have a, a – it just depends on the settings. Yeah. You know, but often you hear like the boom, boom, you know, uh -huh. or you hear the notes of the scale – and then you still hear the tap doing some extra notes in between. Yeah. So you're still you're still working on it, aren't you? Well, it's funny because I I started selling them to other people. Yeah. And there's a guy in California who bought one, and then a year later he called me up and he said, "Shoehorn, you I just gotta I gotta tell you I, this thing has been a life changer for me. Huh. This guy's older than me. Yeah." He he plays sax and keyboards and flutes and percussion. Yeah. He started tap dancing just so he could use my instrument. <laughs> In his 50s, he started tap dancing. And he goes, I lost 40 pounds. <laughs> I, I, I spent six hours a day on this thing. And he, he has taken it, the electronics, to a different level because he has money to spend on all the little uh -huh. gadgets. Yeah. Um, so... He runs his into a computer yeah. and runs Ableton Live, and uh -huh. then he's got the exterior mixer for, for Ableton Live. It's just a piece of electric hardware that yeah. goes – so you're not trying to scratch around on a mouse pad and yeah. cursor buttons on this computer, which can be – as we all know, that can be iffy. You know, yeah. and it's, If yeah. you're trying to make music, it's not yeah. very precise. So Ableton is uh, designed to be used – um, to make music on the fly, looping, yeah. recording, adding parts and layers, triggering, they call them events. So there might be, a, a say, a two-bar bass loop or something that you can, if I hit this pad, it'll do that. Another thing it'll do is it will play the same note with eight, eight different variations before it go, repeats. So on each pad, it goes through a series of eight notes. It may just be like a different um, inflection or a slightly different tone yeah. of the same pitch, or it may go through a whole series of pitches. It's what up to you. They call it round robin. Uh -huh. So it actually is like 64 different notes instead of just eight. I find that I keep pretty busy with the eight, you know. Yeah. yeah. But um, I I have hooked mine up to the uh, to my laptop now and is starting to explore that but I, I i like right now my electronics go into a drum brain so it's like an electric drum kit which many drummers use yeah, yeah. and it's just the interface that right. my feet is different and that's easier yeah. it's one thing to plug in and one thing to you know one line out yeah and it's does a whole lot it's a workhorse so pe people might wonder how, how you manage to to do the two things at the same time two or three things and yeah I think about something else when I'm <laughs> – no, um, 
you know, it's it's a multitasking thing. But if you think about a uh, one-man band, it's similar to one-man band. It's yeah. just using different instruments. Yeah. Uh, the saxophone occupies obviously my mouth and my breathing and my my hands. Yeah. But you know, my feet are free, so it's kind of like a marching band um, meets the <laughs> coffee store. You know. Uh, um, and well, you know drummers and yeah okay well look let's let's go out on another tune shall we let's 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 go on ice cream and bubbles the the one with the, the kids singing and there's also another thing that's um mixed in there which is uh from a producer that was working with my drummer martin zazar yeah and uh his name is javier goyas and he he's the sound of kids on the beach uh-huh and then um uh, I also want to shout out to the other players, Miguel Bernal on the conga. He's from Cuba, lives uh-huh. here in Portland. And, of course, Damien Erskine we mentioned, Martin, uh, Scotty Wardinsky, and Gordon Lee. And also Kite Guy Drydus, uh plays on one song. Uh-huh. So that's my crew. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Hey, thanks a lot. It was fun. And don't remember, I mean, don't forget uh, – Jimmy Jimmy Max on the 18th. It's, it's on the page. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Let's just go to the. Let's go to the. Top. Okay. Let's Thanks go. for being here. All right. Thanks.